Welcome to the Good Cities Podcast with news and information about city movements around the world. Brought to you by GoodCities.net. In this podcast, Glenn Barth, the president of Good Cities, interviews our city coach and best-selling author, Reggie McNeil. This interview features exciting stories of how leaders combine spiritual and social entrepreneurship to turn the world upside down. This is the third in a series of eight signature practices from Reggie's most recent book, Kingdom Collaborators. Let's listen in. Welcome to another edition of the Good Cities podcast. This is Glenn Barth, the president of Good Cities, and we're having a conversation with Reggie McNeil, who serves as the city coach in our work at Good Cities. Reggie's also a best-selling author. His latest book is Kingdom Collaborators, Eight Signature Practices of Leaders Who Turn the World Upside Down, a book detailing key characteristics of kingdom leaders. In this podcast, we're exploring the signature practice of kingdom leaders that Reggie identifies as their commitment and ability to combine social and spiritual entrepreneurship. Reggie, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. You know, this is an interesting combination that you pick up on. Can you give me a couple of examples of what you mean so that we'll know what you're talking about? You know, I run into this uh, a good bit, particularly with uh, folks who have spiritual assignments, uh, like pastors or leaders of church groups. Somehow they have an allergic reaction to the word entrepreneurship because they only they only assign that to business, and uh, for some reason, some, I won't say necessarily negative con- uh, con- uh, t- context or conception, but it's, it's not all that positive. So what I'm trying to say is, look, the same kind of entrepreneurship that drives businesses to innovate, to create markets, uh, to bring uh, project, uh, you know, product to market, to be able to, all that stuff, it those principles, those uh, things also work in the social dimension, social uh, uh, part of our sectors of our cities, in social uh, help, in uh, in spiritual world as well. I'll give you a couple of examples like you've asked for. Um, if you go to Fort Worth, Texas, for instance, and drop in on, uh, on Brood Restaurant, um, it's a brainchild and an actual uh, restaurant brought to life. Uh, by Joey Turner there, who had the idea that uh, church can be more than a congregation. Uh, Joey's a church planter, but he decided to plant church as restaurants. So he went to Fort Worth, uh, and he decided that he was going to reclaim a very dark part of that city some uh, years ago that uh, stores were boarded up, crime, and, uh, you know, had invaded the area, gangs, drugs. I mean, just not a great part of town. Joey uh, bought a corner, uh, a building that had been boarded up. He renovated it. He opened Brood Restaurant. It has become a hot spot for groups from all over the city, particularly young professionals. Uh, he serves great food. He serves, and the word brood is for anything, you know, that's brood. He serves from tea to Texas on tap to fabulous nitrogen coffee. And, um, and, and he's just, and, and this is all an expression uh, of church there. I mean, uh, you, you, there are sitting areas around with Bibles, and there's scripture on the wall, and Joey hires a bunch of of faith-based uh, and uh, Jesus followers is to give a flavor to his wait staff. 
And so, I mean, I think it's just a remarkable expression of social entrepreneurship, spiritual entrepreneurship, along with restaurateurship uh, to bring this thing to life. It is a great humming place, and sure enough, it has spawned a renaissance in that area of other coffee shops and art galleries and um, move over, live live overs, you know, over these shops. I mean, it's just remarkable what's happened. He he, 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 he injected salt and showed some light into a very uh, place that needed it. So that's an example. Or you can just go not too far, just go over toward Dallas, go east of there, in the north and a little east of downtown, you've got a place called Deep Ellum. It's an extension of Elm Street, really, that goes on past uh, I-35 there. And and you've got, uh, in East Texas, I lived there for 16 years, so I understand, you know, some words like Elm, are, are two-syllable words for deep East Texas accent. And so Elm becomes Elm. And so uh, that part of the extension got called Deep Elm. And it was so bad, it fell into such um, bad state that one of the local politicians, city council, said there's no life left in Deep Elm. Well, this church planter couple heard that and they said, well, we don't believe that. Well, you know, we think God's still in Deep Ellum. So they went over there. They started literally a place called a, a ministry called Life in Deep Ellum. But it's not your normal church. I mean, when you go there, you're going to first encounter the smell from the coffee shop that is fabulous coffee at regular coffee shop hours, seven days a week. You're going to go through the art gallery that's uh, hosting typically some art show from some local artist. That's uh, And then you'll go past several businesses that are uh, using the space. That's long before you get to the music venue that they use throughout the week uh, to, for local artists and musicians to come in, hold their concerts or whatever. And then they use that space on Sunday morning for two, three hundred folks that gather to for uh, Christian worship. So, I mean, you, again, there's an example of someone who's decided we want the expression of church in this area to uh, to be something that actually reflects the area. So in one case, you've got a business that's been born. In another, you've got multiple businesses all wrapped around uh, a church at the core of it. So those are a couple of examples I can think of. Or I, I tell you what, Glenn, I can go to one other place. Uh, you can go to India. I mean, in case in case Dallas or Fort Worth is too close for you and you need some adventure in your life, you can go to south uh, part of India, fly into Bangalore, go about five hours south to Salem, and there you'll run into the Ministry of India Gospel League. And Sam Stevens, who's the president and founder of that group, is probably the uh, the most phenomenal Christian leader you've never heard of in the world. I mean, Sam uh, is involved in everything from planting over 100,000 congregations now, churches in villages over the last 20 years, to the building of an orphanage, full school, uh, community college, agribusiness, coffee plantation, print shop, uh, hosting a Honda dealership for the whole country, the training center. I mean, all of this is in Sam's uh, compound because he believes in creating jobs, uh, giving people a, a place for their kids to uh, to 
be raised successfully, as well as planting church. All of that's part of his entrepreneurial approach to uh, a whole gospel development in, in, um, in, in there in India. So those are three examples I can think of if that would help, you know, listeners get the idea of what I'm talking about here. You know, Reggie, when I'm talking with you, sometimes I feel like the uh, examples that you see out there are almost endless. And, uh, and, and I really enjoyed the fact that, that the first two you brought up involve coffee. It makes me think that maybe, uh, <laughs> you know, doing this kingdom work and being a kingdom entrepreneur takes a, a highly caffeinated life to pursue well, the hey, common good all, and to advance the kingdom. All, yeah, they all three involve coffee, Glenn. All three. On that third one, it's a. It's not just a coffee shop. He's growing the coffee. Uh, oh but you know what, Sam? When 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 he pointed to the coffee plantation, which is on the uh, the slopes of the mountain uh, behind his compound there, uh, he said, Reggie. He says, I don't grow coffee just to grow coffee. That's seventy jobs. And, you know, I mean, that's the way this entrepreneur thinks. Now, that's a genuine spiritual and social entrepreneur. He's changing the face of the villages where he's working in uh, because he, he thinks like that. You know, that's a funny thing because I, I've talked to a lot of social entrepreneurs through our program, Business is Doing Good. And uh, and one of my favorite programs was early on we did a program with on open hiring about uh, – Grayston Bakery in, in Yonkers, New York, and here were these folks baking brownies, and uh, the person I interviewed uh, said to me, uh, we, we, uh, we don't bake brownies to make money. We, we bake brownies to hire people, and I thought yeah. it was such an interesting approach. And uh, yeah. and really, they're solving critical social issues through their open hiring process, and uh, it's so exciting to, to see that they make all the brownies that go into Ben and Jerry's ice cream and they hire wow. the first person uh, who applies for the job. So they always hire the first person and then they use their HR department. Instead of weeding people out, they use them to help people become productive uh, as they work at their company. And, uh, you know, they make them productive and successful. So entrepreneurship uh, is uh, is so important, and it's often overlooked as a kingdom value. You know, Reggie, there's well, no shortage yeah. of problems or issues, are there, that challenge our communities, and ranging from health care to education to economic opportunity. Do entrepreneurs have a different perspective on these issues than the average person or or even the average leader? Yeah, they, I, would, I would carve it out probably like this, where other people see problems, uh, entrepreneurs see that as an opportunity. I mean, mm. so so you've got Gregory Boyle, for instance, out there in you know in, in Boyle Heights uh, or, or in L.A. downtown L.A. Um, if if our uh, listeners are familiar at all, if they're not. They ought to get familiar. You're talking about an inspiration. You've got Homeboy and Homegirl Industries. Homeboy Industries helps people who are coming out of prison reintegrate you know, into uh, our culture, which everyone knows is a huge problem uh, so that people don't go right back into prison. Uh, and Greg Ball's doing stuff like he has the largest tattoo removal practice in the country, seven full-time tattoo removers who 
you know, chisel away at people's foreheads and and un- unink their arms and stuff like that so that they're not disqualified from getting jobs. And and he, he bakes bread, and he said very similar to what you were talking about the, with the brownie guy. <laughs> he says, we don't bake bread so we can hire homeboys. We Or we don't hire homeboys so we can bake bread. He said, we bake bread so we can hire homeboys. And he yeah. employs, you know, hundreds, hundreds. I mean, you know, so you got homeboy, a bakery. It's now in LAX. Uh, I think it's con- the American Airlines concourse there. You've got homegirl wow. restaurant. You've got uh, screen uh, printing, you know, T-shirt printing shops, all this stuff. Again, that's entrepreneurship at work. And where other people just say, man, I tell you, we got to, you know, we need to give these uh, folks coming out of prison, like in my state, you know, $20 and drop them off on the street. You know, Gregory Ball doesn't see that as shake his head. And he, he says, how can, there's an opportunity. Or I kind of, it's kind of like if, if you, to use a completely other example, go to the other coast, go to Orlando, go to Disney World. You know, and every afternoon it rains, I mean, in Disney World, and they, but they don't shut down Disney World because it rains every afternoon. What they do, and anyone that's been there knows, is they, they bring out, you know, hundreds of thousands of carts full of parkas. So, they're, you know, the rain, they're making money out of the rain. Uh, you know, in fact, I think Disney's seeding the clouds uh, because, uh, you know, but can't you see that's seeing an opportunity where other folks would just see a problem? Yeah, we got to get people in and shut down our stuff and and all that. So that I think that's where entrepreneurs uh, just they just distinguish themselves from the 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 average Joe. And of course, the most ancient story I've heard about that is you know the shoe salesman of another century riding from you know some place he was visiting in Africa. Uh, forget it, you know, back to his company, nobody wears shoes here, um, you know, and another salesman, same company, though, with a different attitude, what an opportunity, nobody here has <laughs> shoes, we can sell them all, so, I mean, oh, that's, that's the great. difference. That's great, you know, Reggie, uh, you got that saying right, and I want to repeat it for our listeners in case they missed that, and I don't think you could ever miss it, but uh, Gregory Boyle and, uh, and yeah. Jonathan Halperin, out there, you know, Gregory Boyle with Homeboy and, and uh, Jonathan Halperin out there with uh, Grayston Bakery, they both pretty much say that same saying, and I, I got it wrong before. Yeah. What you, you got it right. We don't hire people to make bread or to make brownies. We make brownies or bread to hire people. That's a right. kingdom attitude, and, it's, and yep. it's advancing the common good in a measurable way. That's what Good yep. Cities is about. And I'm I'm really glad we're talking today, uh, Gregory Boyle. He's a he's actually Father Gregory Boyle, isn't he? With he, he's That's a correct. Catholic, uh, isn't Roman he? Catholic priest. Yes, yes. I, well, I was just going to say I took a group um, when I was teaching out there at uh, Fuller Seminary last summer. I took a group down to tour mm-hmm. that facility, a doctoral class, and um, and, and the impact it had on them. Um, had a young man in that group from South Africa uh, who, uh, and if you know anything about South Africa, you're talking about over 30% unemployment, as high as 50% unemployment in, in Johannesburg. And But this one young doctoral student that's in my was in my class, he's not a pastor. He's a social entrepreneur trying to figure out how to diminish uh, 
youth and adolescent, well, it just order to increase youth opportunity for employment. And so you can imagine how that visit just set him on fire to the possibilities of what he could do. And he lives not far from Joburg. And I've been to Joburg and, uh, man, oh man. I mean, that's what, that's, we've got to have, we've got to have entrepreneurs who seize on these seemingly intractable, intractable problems, but come at it with fresh solutions because they see mm-hmm. it as an opportunity. You know, Reggie, this is uh, such an exciting topic. Say, if you're listening to this podcast today, I want to encourage you to subscribe because we come out with three, two or three new podcasts every month. And, and I know you'll want to know when they come out because we have lots of exciting insights to share with you. In fact, Reggie, one of the things about these entrepreneurial kingdom leaders that, that they possess, it's a high capacity for risk. And, and I, all of the things that you've mentioned so far took somebody to take a risk. Can you comment a little bit more on this high-capacity risk that these uh, social and spiritual entrepreneurs have? Well, you're right. Uh, these folks are not cowed down by the prospect of failure. Now, they're not, they're not crazy, and they don't take non-calculated risks, but the fact that risk is involved doesn't uh, – move them out of the equation. I was just uh, with a guy a week before last, and uh, he was talking about his dreams for community development that he's already put parts of this to work. His dream has moved from $7 million to $15 million to a $22 million dream that he has. Now, this is a business guy who uh, is a Jesus follower who wants to... Uh, impact one of the most wealthy, but spiritually, economically wealthy, but spiritually impoverished areas of our country. And um, and so uh, to do that, it's going to require uh, an enormous cross-domain initiative uh, that uh, so far and right now looks like it's going to be over a $20 million. Now, most folks, uh, and not everyone can be an entrepreneur. I, I Personally, I don't have it in me to risk $22 million. Uh, I would only risk $21 million, uh, maybe, but, or maybe, 20, maybe, maybe just $21. Uh, I think I've got $20. But this guy, uh, you know, uh, he says, now, and he's, he's, not un, he's not cowed down by it, but it doesn't mean he's not. I mean, he says, Reggie, I have cold sweat just thinking about this, but it's not preventing him from moving forward. The, these folks have a higher failure, they have a higher risk tolerance because they have a higher failure threshold. You know, the, mm-hmm. we used to, they, they can, like one organization uh, that I've taken some folks to visit, uh, City Square, may come back to them actually, uh, in Dallas, one of their mantras is fail fast. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, let's don't be afraid of failing, but let's get it over with and move on to the next you know, uh, let's try In other words, keep trying because you're going to have to keep trying stuff. Uh, you don't want to make the same failure 12 times, but get in there. Let's try it if we think it'll, it could work, uh, and then let's get off of it if it's not. Um, and so, uh, and you, you know, you've heard, you've heard like great salesmen, for instance, can't take no for an answer. Well, they, exactly the opposite's true. Great salesmen take no for an answer better than the rest of us. They're told a hundred times no, but they just don't hear it. I mean, 
I mean, they just, they, they, you tell that salesman, no, and they just think you haven't come to your senses yet, or you weren't listening to what I had to say, or whatever, whereas no shuts most of us down, you know, the first time we have a no. Uh, well, entrepreneurs are salespeople in that regard. They just, they just can, they have a higher tolerance for moving past uh, what other people see as obstacles. Hmm. And doesn't that get us right to that? Uh, next aspect of a key practice of a kingdom leader, that they operate with an abundance thinking rather than scarcity thinking. You know, I, as, a past, as a former pastor of churches, the, uh, one of the biggest obstacles I felt like I had to overcome was the scarcity mentality that I would run into yeah. uh, on boards and committees throughout the church. And, uh, yeah. and, and it's something every pastor, I think, has to deal with and uh, and how how does someone get to the point where they can work with an abundance thinking rather than scarcity thinking? Well, I don't know how I don't know completely the answer to your question. I I think it is something you have to very intentionally cultivate, and mm. I do think that it has to come out of. Uh, I mean, you have to be aware of the distinction. And I can tell you, uh, scarcity thinking abounds, and and it it by far has the upper hand. And it often comes in very seductive forms. It, it acts so smart. Oh well, well, have you done cost analysis for that? You know, uh, you know, and, and it, it, and it looks like it's knowledgeable and and all that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, sometimes we just hide behind that because we're afraid to back to the earlier part or take a risk. Or, but kingdom leaders. Well, here's a great example in the Bible. Here's a great example of two different thinking. What have we got here? We got a, we got a, a several thousand people here that hadn't had dinner, and there aren't enough KFCs around here that are still open to feed all the people. We need to sit, sit down, and 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 so Jesus says, "What do we got to feed them?" And the scarcity thinking says, "Well, we fleece the crowd. We've only got one lunch with a few fish, and you know, and so what are you going to do with that? I mean, hey, we can't do anything. That's all we got." <laughs> Abundance thinking. Jesus says, "Let me have it." I'll, I'll work with it. <laughs> so abundance thinkers say, let's start with what we've got. Let's work with it. Let's see what God can do here in this situation. So, you know, they tend to have, a, of course, a much higher thresh, uh, thresh uh, faith threshold. They have a much higher or faith component because, uh, again, scarcity uh, scarcity mentality requires very little faith um, and actually puts its faith in just what we think we can do. Whereas abundance thinking, the reason that's a kingdom thing, is you got to believe that the God of the kingdom has a whole bunch of resources at his disposal that you're not even aware of. And uh, and you just begin to move with yes uh, into that, you know, the it, it, it's kind of like when I was talking with a group last week, you know, the right response uh, for Christians is, yes, now what? And um, instead, of, and that's the abundance thinker. Yes, Lord, whatever it is, my answer is yes. Um, the scarcity thinker goes, well, it's what, 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 uh, how much, uh, what? And then I'll think about yes. I mean, so it's a, it's, it's just a whole different posture. Um, I, abundance yeah, thinkers I, think... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, abundance, abundance thinkers, thinkers believe, like writer, abundance thinkers, the best books haven't been written. The best social social uh, impact 
projects have not been done yet. The, the best, you know, ideas have not been conceived yet. I mean, that's abundance thinking. Yeah, and when I think uh, with you about this, Reggie, I have to say that uh, when we consider that we serve a God who's all-loving and all-powerful, um, for us to get trapped in scarcity thinking is, uh, is really a lack of faith at some point. I even think of, yeah. uh, especially about the Apostle Paul, when he was in prison in Ephesus, and he wrote the letter to, you know, the first and second Corinthian letters. In, this, in the letter to the second Corinthians, Paul, in the beginning chapters, appears to be at a point of great despair. And, uh, and I think he had to be wondering, God had, God had called him to go to the Gentiles and to their kings, and here he was sitting in jail and not being very well accepted by a church he had planted in Corinth. And, uh, and, and, and what we see, though, is while he's in that Corinthian jail, here's Paul. He ends up writing a letter that reunites Onesimus and Philemon uh, through, uh, I think, a great uh, effort of reconciliation to these two who had, uh, Onesimus had run away. And now Paul reunites them with the letter he writes. And you begin to get a sense that Paul is actually, as he's following Jesus, beginning to realize that the way he's going to reach the Gentiles and their kings is through the downward path of being imprisoned and going to court on a regular basis to stand before their magistrates. And Paul begins to see the possibilities out of the very depths of prison. Yeah, that's great insight. And uh, kingdom leaders that I know you know, they, they don't just um, assume that position and particularly uh, positions of influence that others might recognize are necessarily the limiting factors. They, they're not limited. They're not limited by what we typically think. Um, and so they're able to accomplish great things. What other capacities do uh, kingdom leaders have, Reggie, that combine social and spiritual entrepreneurship? Well, you know, they're really good at creating momentum. They understand that to get a movement going or to bring other people, um, you know, into action or to accomplish what it is they're trying, they have their target set on, they have to build momentum. And so they're really good at going, uh, at knowing how to sequence uh, victories and accomplishments so that you go after stuff that's you know, e- more easily accomplished on the front end. It builds lines of credit. It gets more people believing. I mean, they're just skilled at that, and that is a skill. That's not always just a, an intuitive something, although intuition may come to, to bear on it, but it's, it's, it's really a smart capacity. And then I think they also have uh, developed their own a capacity to bring adaptive solutions to problem solving. Uh, it was Heifetz and um, 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 Ron Heifetz and Marty Lewinsky that in their book, Leadership on the Line, that drew a distinction between adaptive leadership and technical leadership or adaptive problem solving and technical problem solving. It's brilliant, brilliant, um, and because it just it, most folks approach problems with technical solutions for instance, uh, if you go to City Square 
and you talk with Larry James there, Larry will tell you something crazy like this. We've discovered that the cure for homelessness is to give people a home. Now, you know, what in the world is he thinking? I mean, see, now that's an adaptive solution because the technical solution for handling homeless people is hose them down with a cot and food for the night, shelter, but you keep them on the street. You don't have any, you know, you're not, you're not adapting to the problem to bring creative solutions to actually move them from, you know, just receiving the day-to-day-to-day stuff. Larry's not, Larry's not satisfied with that. So uh, the last time I was there, it was the day they were opening his uh, gated community with 50 tiny homes, all on wheels, by the way, so they could move that whole village <laughs> overnight. Mm. Uh, mm. But it was, it was designed to help folks who have prison records and drug problems live in a place where they can have community, come out of sleeping on park benches and under bridges, um, belong, which we all know is the biggest component now. We know this now through all kinds of research that the biggest component to helping people in their recovery from alcohol or drug addiction or whatever it is, uh, food addiction, whatever, is uh, belonging and uh, support, community. So, you know, Larry's created a community for these folks that are really trying to put their lives in a different place. And, um, I mean, it's just a brilliant work. So, so he uses an adaptive approach uh, to problem solving rather than just accepting the technical norms. You know, this is what you do. You dispense drugs. You put people in AA groups and then they go back to the street, whatever. No, he's not satisfied with that. And the result is over 2,000 people now have homes in Dallas that didn't have them otherwise. So what you're saying when it comes to adaptive solutions is that if you run into a roadblock or a traditional way of doing things that is not getting the results that really would result in solving the issue, maybe you need to try something new. And you have to be the kind of leader who's willing to take a risk to do something that perhaps others would look at and say, that doesn't work. But exactly. you you know, but but you're willing to put your own reputation on the line to try it, right? Yes. I mean, it's, it's Paul Sorrell coming as the new president at Paul Quinn College uh, there in south of Dallas. It's an African-American Episcopal institution, faith, with mm-hmm. a, a, a not great track record for graduation, uh, almost out of business, totally, completely in debt, and all kinds of... So he comes in, Paul comes in, and um, decide, I mean, Michael, I said Paul, uh, it's Paul Quinn College, Michael Sorrell's the president. So Michael comes in, uh, and he's an attorney by background, not a college president, so maybe he doesn't have so much to unlearn. Um, <laughs> one of his first things he did was shut down the football field, and I believe this, in Texas or anywhere, but he said, you know, we're not good at football anyway. And we're uh, we're using up this property and all of our energies to try to support an athletic program that's underproducing uh, at its best. So he turns the football field into a farm, and he puts every student there to work on the farm so they can work off their tuition, and then he can grow food in a food desert and distribute food to the community, and he can then build uh, uh, help teach kids 
life skills. And then he also started, uh, uh, you know, partnerships with local businesses in the area. I mean, he's solving multiple problems because he said these kids are coming to us from lower income or under-resourced families where the value of work is not part of their uh, – it just isn't there. They've not been around people who work. So they have no idea what that means. So he's putting them to work so that they understand a whole different culture. And, I mean, look at all the problems he's attacking uh, from work ethic to, to you know, food desert to, uh, to academic performance to graduation rate to uh, employment opportunity. All of those things he's attacking, but it, but it started by, you know, we could do something with this football, football field besides play ball on it. I mean, you know, that, that to me, that's an adaptive leader with an adaptive mm-hmm. approach to problem solving. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, gosh, Reggie, thanks so much for treating us to insights on how kingdom leaders co-conspire with God and others to bless their communities. Hopefully this will encourage this practice to be even more prevalent among our listeners. In fact, I think a lot of what we're doing with all these stories today, Reggie, is we're seeking to plant kingdom seeds out there, and we're hoping that those who are listening will uh, will grow those mustard seed plants that produce a hundredfold. Yeah, and maybe someone's listening that had been told a dozen times or a hundred times, you can't do that. And I hope today they hear, yeah, you can. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast today. Reggie and I want to make ourselves available to you. And uh, so we uh, would love for you to respond to this, uh, this podcast today. Just You can send us an email at info at goodcities.net, info at goodcities.net. And uh, Reggie or I will be happy to get back in touch with you. And if you've ever like to have us come to your city to tell some of these stories to some of your friends and get them excited about becoming social or spiritual entrepreneurs for the king, we'd be happy to do that. So contact us and let us know you're interested. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so uh, you'll get a notice every time we come out with a new one. Thanks so much for being with us today. Until next time, we look forward to being with you. Take care. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Good Cities Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe and listen in on future episodes. To get more information about Good Cities, join our email list, or to find out how to get involved in making your city a good city, visit goodcities.net.